Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space, the sci-fi movie review podcast. I'm Scott Weatherly, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by Julian. Julian, how are you doing? Uh, I am nursing a cold, so if I cough uh, every five seconds during this, well, that's just the way it's got to be. How are you doing, Scott? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. So you haven't been uh, using any teleportation devices and uh, caught something from uh, a new science not that I know, but I have to say <laughs> I, I was uh, feeling this way as I was watching the film. Bad idea. Like yeah. if you're feeling <laughs> nauseous already and you're, you know, you have like a head cold and you're already dizzy and you're just watching like fingernails being peeled off and close up, uh, you know, bodies disintegrating, ears falling off, you know, probably not the best <laughs> idea. Yeah, I think uh, it's not one to watch while you're having your dinner, which was uh, <laughs> is definitely a mistake. Well, uh, unless, you you, already... unless you regurgitate on your food. I mean, that's true. in which that's case, true. it's okay. <laughs> it's perfect. As as they try in this film, it's an educational uh, vignette for children. That's uh, uh, something, <laughs> something to consider. Uh, if you haven't already guessed, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be covering uh, 1986's The Fly, uh, directed by David Cronenberg. Um, to give a few more of the details, uh, also written by David Cronenberg and Charles Edward Pogue, starring Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brundle, Gina Davis as Veronica Quaife, and John Getz as Stathis Baranis. Baranis? I never get his name right. Um, this is a remake of sorts of the 1958 version, which obviously started, started Vincent Price. Uh, and I'll give a quick rundown of the plot. So, Seth Brundle is a brilliant scientist who has been working on an amazing technology, teleportation. At a party, he meets Veronica, a journalist for a science magazine, and he can't resist showing her the new technology. However, when she decides to go public with the information, Seth asks her to hold on and to document the rest of the development. As the work grows, so does their relationship. After a confusion about Veronica's previous lover and editor, Stathis, Seth teleports himself to prove that the technology works. However, a fly gets trapped in the teleportation pod with him, and the two become genetically fused. This fusion causes a mutation of Seth and the fly to something else, something new. He becomes Brundlefly. So, Julian, what's your initial thoughts of the 1986 film The Fly? Um... Well, I saw this when I was very young. Um, I saw this, I must have been like nine or something, um, maybe 10. Yeah. I, I, and uh, so, I mean, it was really just amazing to me. Uh, I loved uh, the body horror, although I didn't have that term then. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm amazed at how well it holds up. I think that it sort of starts slow. You know, you sort of see like, oh, okay. 
Um, they're sort of like outdated, uh, you know, gender roles. And, you know, you see the kind of clunky way in which the plot is just kind of setting up. Like he brings a reporter back, doesn't seem to realize she's a reporter. You know, he gets drunk and decides to use the machine. I mean, you see these ways in which it's just kind of setting up the plot. But once it gets going, um, I was amazed how much I thought it felt like uh, a much older film, um, even like a 30s film more than in, uh, in a 1950s film, that it ends with the defeat of the the monster. Um, and every scene is just sort of very functional. Um, mm. But it really, once it gets rolling, it's it's fantastic. What do you think? Yeah, no, I'm the same. You know, I was... Uh... We, we live in an age now of films that are like two and a half hours or plus, like, you know, these massive films. So when I was sort of sat down and realized this is like 95 minutes, I was like, oh, good. This is a really concise, compact film. And it, like you say, it, it flies past. This film really goes for it. I mean, it opens and closes very, um, you know, almost without uh, fanfare. But, you know, I know, I love the way they do that. Like the film opens just with um, Seth. Uh, Jeff Goldblum's Seth Brundle having the conversation with Gina Davis at the party. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, oh, I'm not. There's no preamble. There's no setting up the the characters or no setting up. You know, we're not going to try and give you all that stuff. Or how we got to the party or whatever. I oh, know, like we are at the party, and you're going to learn. You know, you're going to learn to know the characters as we go. And it just sort of drops you into it. And yeah, I I actually really quite enjoy it. And I, and I think the other thing I enjoy about this film is it's it's a small it's a small film. Mm-hmm. You know, really. I mean, I gave three three cast members. I mean, there are other people involved, but predominantly, that th- they're the three people that hold this film together, and um, that can usually be a good thing or a bad thing. But in this case, I think it's a really good thing. Um, and at the, you know, the top of that, I think Jeff Goldblum is excellent in this film. I think he does a really good job. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. Um, I think both of us like sort of smaller controlled stories. You know, we don't Mm. need uh, all of those, you know, the explosive climax. Um, And I agree about Goldblum. I I think that Goldblum, it's interesting that he sort of has this cult uh, today. I mean, he sort of like became a meme. Um, Mm. And as a result, like millennials all know uh, Jeff Goldblum. Um, But, you know, it's amazing to me, especially once he starts becoming Brundlefly, and and he starts being absolutely manic. Um, how great he really is! Uh, yeah, uh, I think that's the thing. Is that he, the transformation in this isn't just physical, is it? Like there is a true personality change, and it's sort of his portrayal of that is really good. Because when you meet him, he's um, he's almost like that sort of quintessential sort of like eighties scientist. He's you know he's he's naive. He's a bit sort of uh, awkward. He's um, you know, he, he's sort of slightly sort of, um, he, he, you know, he's excited about the technology, but not really sure how to interact with women. I mean, there's a part of me that wonders if he, it's funny when he is talking to Gina Davis and he takes her back to his apartment initially, like, you know, in, in any other film like that, um, that engagement would have been in him inviting her back to stay the night, you know, sort of like, oh, this is clearly going to end up with us sleeping together. But like, no, no, he is just excited about what he's done. He's like, look, look, this is amazing. Look what I've got. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> and he's like, you're, you're talking to, you've got Gina Davis back to your apartment. Like, you know, you know, tr- at least try and be a little bit more sort of uh, 
charming. But no, I just think he's brilliant. And then once, um, like you say, once it sort of ramps up to, and, the, and the, the teleportation happens and stuff, and that transformation is sort of, it gets more aggressive and more sort of manic is, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it raises your concerns in the film. Like you feel for him because there's clearly something wrong. Um, and his physicality in the film is so sort of perfect for that sort of, um, you know, sort of his jerky movements at times or the speed of his, the cadence of with which he speaks. Um, like he re- he can control it and he can let it go. And he sort of, yeah, I think he's, he's just really good in this film. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for me, it really speeds up. Um, you know, you're right that I, you know, every scene is sort of very functional, just throws you right in. That reminds me of a much earlier cinematic style. Um, mm. And yet it's impossible to imagine. I mean, obviously, this is in some sense a monster movie, right? It's a very mm. simple plot, very few characters. And it's impossible to imagine a sort of, uh, you know, 30s, um, you know, King Kong era uh, monster movie that has this level of body horror right but but i I feel like it's an amazing updating of that sort of formula um and i think you're right that that it moves fast and goldblum really for me once he starts becoming bundle uh uh bundle fly that um he you know you have one incident after another as sort of Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the fingernails are coming off. He's starting to look more and more disheveled. You know, the back, the, you know, mm. tear in his back is getting hairy. And and it just keeps accelerating and accelerating. And it feels as if every two or three minutes you have another incident. Like it, you know, it's as if, um, you know, you could make a whole series of gradations of this progression until finally the, you know, um, complete collapse of um goldblum's face at the end yeah 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 which is horrific like i'd forgotten like, as you said like the special effects in this are um are really good like you know it's 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 like an attention to detail i think at times that sort of just works so it's um one of the things I always sort of think about is escalation in films. Sort of like, you know, where does it start and where does it end up? Because if you're taking like huge leaps to get to a certain point at some point, like I can be taken out of it. But with this, like you say, you have the physical and the sort of psychological change. But when they've got the special effects guys that are working on this, and I assume it's obviously David Cronenberg as well, like his attention to detail, because they start with, as you say, he's got a cut on his back from he sort of uh, he lay on a microchip. And through the sort of the wound, like you say, the coarse hairs start to come through. And, and, you know, that's sort of, it looks quite good already. You already think, well, that's freaky and weird. But um, as he starts to transform and as sort of like his body is changing, like there's that need for sugar. So he starts to ingest Mm -hmm. more sugar and that sort of thing. And he starts to get acne. Like he starts to get spots. So they've even sort of given, you know, they've given thought to the physical. impacts of his diet and stuff like that so you know it's, it's the rest of his body is still fine because he keeps saying how energetic and perfect and purified he feels but like his skin is getting sort of like mottled and it's getting spots and um you know it's that first sort of it, it, for the first half of the film even after the transformation you're not entirely sure what's going to happen because it's still sort of like you can still say oh mm-hmm. well, he's getting that he looks that ill because of his diet like because of what he's eating um 
And then it's obviously when you say when he, the first thing is when he bites that fingernail, and just like you know he's obviously annoyed and he bites his finger and it starts to come off, and his reaction to that. In fact, there's two scenes that very close succession, which I, I I really credit Jeff Goldblum for is, um, he's had that sort of like reaction to Gina Davis and he's sort of you know he's obviously angry and he sort of goes to the mirror. Uh, in the bathroom, and he bites his finger, and it comes off, and he's like, "What the fuck is going on? What is this?" Like, and he looks panicked, and he sort of pulls them all off. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene is him, and he's got those gloves on. He's wearing a pair of sort of like, well, look, like gardening gloves, really. Um, and he's typing into the computer, and he discovers that he has been fused with a fly, with a house fly. Um, again, it has some impossible technology that tells him how it happened, but yeah. Um, I love his facial reaction is just that sort of like his eyes widen. It's just that, Oh my God, like fusion was successful. And it's just like, Oh no, no, not just teleportation fusion. And you think that doesn't sound good. And it's just like his reaction is, is tells you everything you need to know. It's, it's so, it's so well done. Yeah. And I I think uh, another uh, moment that's very well done is the moment when Gina Davis sort of like comes clean to him and says, I think something went wrong. And at the Mm. time he's sort of convinced, um, no, it just kind of purified me. And that's why I'm able to, to do all of this uh, stuff that, you know, reminds me very much of sort of like Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man testing his powers. Mm. Um, And we haven't even talked about the, you know, the climbing the wall scene, which I remember as a kid uh, and which is done brilliantly. Um, But for me that there's that pivotal scene in which, She's kind of going along with this. Um, Mm. She's not quite convinced. I mean, she's seen things like the sugar, things that don't really make sense, the hairs on the back. Um, And you can feel sort of her horror of like, something's not right here. This is, this went south. You think this is all fine, but something's wrong with you. And I love you enough to need you to understand this. Mm. Um, and, and that's a pivotal moment in sort of that progression. Um, and, and so I think she does a very good job too. Yeah. She, they, they sort of work as a, you know, um, as a, as a couple. And I think it's, you know, those two as the central core of this, they do seem to work really well. They, they have quite good chemistry throughout this. Um, and I like the fact that he is, so nerdy and he plays it in a sort of like a, you know, almost like a, a semi reclusive scientist. And you, you can believe that. And it's her that's bringing him out. Like, you know, because the transformation sort of, there are parts where, you know, she buys him a leather jacket and she's sort of taking him out for coffee. And it's sort of like, she, she is influencing him and you can sort of see that there's a, that, that dynamic works really well. And I credit them both for it, that they, they work well together. Um, and there are certain things that sort of um, I'm, we will say for a bit, but like plot contrivances that I think have to happen for certain things within for things to happen, which is always the case with every film. And we'll, we'll get to those. But I also like the fact that, as you say, it seems a bit silly, but when he gets drunk and sort of, mm-hmm. you know, and goes through the teleportation, like we've already seen one of the baboons. Um, in fact, let's, we'll go because the special effects, I think are great. So when you first see the yeah. first baboon, he's able to teleport, inanimate objects when he does a stocking he can do other things and then when he tries we see him try the first baboon to go through um and you don't know what to expect and in in part of my mind as again i watched this probably too young a bit like yourself (laughs) i remember watching this and thinking like 
oh, this is where he's going to prove that he can do it. Like, that's good. And then obviously as an older viewer, you're like, oh, no, no, this is the cock-up before the success. Right. And when you see that bloody handprint hit the inside of the um, the inside of the teleportation pod, um, and they open it, and the the the, the inside out baboon. <laughs> it's great. It's amazing. Um, and like I say, this is one of those films. I was I watched it in HD. I watched this uh, online in HD, and I was worried that the special effects and makeup would suffer because of HD. Because there are films that you know look great, probably in VHS back in the day or on television, but haven't aged well with 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 HD. This looks amazing. And that baboon is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I was less horrified by it this time through. I mean, I think even the, like, facial disintegration, um, I'm much more conscious of, like, oh, okay, you're doing stop motion here. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I found myself thinking of the inside-out baboon, like, it doesn't seem to have enough mass, you know, it's not mm. as big as the baboon, but, but those, th- but I, you know, you can forgive these things. And those were things that I remembered as a kid being really horrifying. Um, mm. So I think they work. Uh, it is, you know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, we both like uh video drum as well, but it's interesting. This sort of like preoccupation with the flesh, right. Um, Yes. Not the new flesh of Videodrome, but the flesh. Yes. Um, it's very strange. And and it seems to fit with this depiction of um, Goldblum as a, as a nerd who um, needs to come out of a shell and learn how to be um, a little more jockish or a little more cool mm. or how to get girls. And that sort of process happens. But I'm not sure, like, if we think of this as a... Frankenstein story um that's certainly the case but it's also a sort of um parable of about sex um mm-hmm. about abortion I mean I'm surprised at all the abortion stuff in it um including mm-hmm. an abortion nightmare um <laughs> yeah so I mean and uh, as parable about sort of uh you know the nerd versus um you know some sort of self-actuated individual well that, that, that's right because that feels very 80s to me that sort of because he actually says it, he has a, he, he has that sort of short monologue doesn't he about saying that right at the moment i've achieved my life's dream i'm actually realizing who my you know who i am um mm-hmm. and i've spent all this time on my on my sort of work but not enough time on me and it sort of seems like this sort of like 80s um, thing of like you say the jock of being able to get the girl and being cool and looking studly and all that sort of stuff and it's sort of there was always the you know the the nerds were always not the bad guys but they were always probably you know they were always looked down upon and they were the butt of the jokes in the 80s and it feels like that sort of part of this like he starts you know um i mean this is jeff goldblum he's a very good looking bloke but he still he still feels like he starts in revenge of the nerds and goes you know, and joins <laughs> another 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 clique, as it were, um, and that says that so there's that self actualization. But you know, you say about the parable. The other thing that I sort of found interesting was to me this. Uh, I thought Frankenstein, and then I thought Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, mm-hmm. and it's that sort of thing of sort of introduce you know self experimentation, and something going wrong and something being introduced that makes you 
that changes you. I mean, in this, it's like literally he's, he fuses with a fly. Um, but I liked that sort of, you know, it's it's almost the most extreme <laughs> version, the extreme ver- version of uh, animalistic behaviour. And he, I mean, he voices it later on as he's sort of like really changing. He says it's about uh, animal, uh, insect politics. Have you ever heard of mm-hmm. insect politics? And Gina Davis says, uh, you know, no. And he's like, well, because there aren't any. <laughs> it's a pretty black and white world. And I'm going there and I'm scared that I'm going to hurt you because I'm going to lose my compassion. Um, and I was interested to see that, that sort of like, you know, that thing is sort of, again, that Jekyll and Hyde, the idea of sort of, as he gets yeah. more animalistic, he, he traverses through to almost sort of, um, you know, he becomes more sort of virile and more sort of like energetic, but also sort of like, you know, he's more aroused and sort of all this sort of feels more animal. And then it, mm-hmm. he's going to come out, it's almost like going to come out the other end of all that and become just, I don't know whether it be logic or just, you know, whatever it is. Instinct, I don't know, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, it was in. I was interested yeah. to sort of see that it is that transformation is is almost like re- regression in some way. Right, I I love what you're saying uh, about Jekyll and Hyde, um, and I love the you know sort of I want to be the first uh, insect politician um, yeah. <laughs> sort of speech. It, it's so it's so great, and he's so roundabout, and the audience realizes what he's saying before he hits the punchline of "If yeah. you don't leave, I'll hurt you." Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the Jekyll and Hyde thing is more apt than Frankenstein, um, you know, because there is this sort of point about what lays inside of us, right? That mm-hmm. underneath that nerd exterior, um, you know, maybe all of these male uh, displays at uh, intelligence and accomplishment are biologically programmed to try to get chicks. And, mm. um, you know, here, when you cut that cord in uh, Jekyll and Hyde, you know, um, horror comes out, right? And, mm. you know, this is very similar in that it's it's astounding how quickly he just ditches Gina Davis. You know, he's like, oh, you don't, you know, I need a perfect mate and you aren't willing. That's fine. I'll just get somebody else to go through this. And it doesn't really matter who she is, right? Uh, you know, he picks up this this woman, um, you know, with whom he has no chemistry at all. Um, but he does sort of become, um, you know, another person and, and somebody who is much more ruthless and much more uncaring. And and there is a sort of old-timey message almost about balancing the balancing civilization and um, insect ruthlessness or something. Mm. I think that's right because, like you say, he becomes more ruthless. Is, is a is a is a good word for it because you know everything becomes about drive. Um, and like I say when he goes out to you know like he's going out to prove a point. Like again, that that the woman he chooses is, is opportunistic. Like there's no reason other than her being there for her for her to be chosen. Like it could have been any any woman. Um, and so, like it is, it's it's almost that thing. So each time he does something with the teleportation pods, it seems to be about. It's almost like he's trying, to, you know, he's trying to prove something to Gina Davis. Like so, the first time he does it is because he thinks he thinks she has gone back to her former uh, lover, um, her editor, um, Stathis. And then when he goes and gets another woman to do it, um, again he's trying to prove that like no, I need someone to do it 
with me. Like, you know, there, there will be somebody else in the world that feels this way. Cause if you're not brave enough to do it, then I will find somebody. And it could, you, you know, there are other things that I've noted watching it this time. And I don't know if there's anything in it, but I mean, Gina Davis, she's a former model. She's very statuesque, you know, very sort of uh, clear skin. And yeah, she's, I mean, she's a very beautiful woman. And the woman he chooses is still very attractive, but she's got a lot of freckles. She's got red hair. You know, I wouldn't say, <laughs> maybe I'm getting on some, but she, she's, she's almost like, not the opposite, but she, she's a, a, a very different look to Gina Davis. And I just thought there's something there about sort of like, you know, choosing choosing someone so different to Gina Davis. Um, it just yeah, I know like the tattoo, it, and I, I, I don't know what to think about that. Mm. I might just read something, but it just felt, it almost felt intentional because they haven't gone for a, con- a conventional beauty. Like they choose someone who looks like a barfly, you know, like she, yeah, she looks lesser. Um, and he's going to sort of like, he wants to sort of bestow this, this gift upon her. Um, and I just, I just found that like a, an, you know, like an odd thing. Um, it is odd. Can we talk about uh, how absurd this technology is? Um, yes. Yeah. Like the fact that it can teleport is the least interesting thing about it. Um, <laughs> you know, the, Jeff Goldblum has basically created Skynet, and yeah. you know he's created a computer that is able to scan every molecule of you know uh, of uh, being, including it, it would have to be because it can keep the memories intact, right? Um, it mm. answers questions like an advanced AI. It responds yeah. to voice commands. It can, you know, when it has to teleport two things at the same time, it just splices the genes together on the fly to create a genetically <laughs> viable result. Like, yeah, that's a, a, you know, and also like he teaches it the poetry of the flesh. Like this is this is some advanced technology. The teleportation's cool, but you have Skynet here. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's actually a really interesting point in this film where he. It, it, he, because that's really because obviously you're talking about an AI, so you're talking about almost like a learning computer. But he, one of the first things he says about why the thing can't teleport uh, flesh is because he says, he says machines are dumb. You know, machines are stupid. They only do what you tell them to do. But then, like you say, but then it seems to learn things pretty quick <laughs> when given the opportunity. Like you say, when it it, it, it makes decisions. Oh, there are instead of sort of like identifying which i thought would be now this is the thing i actually thought this one if it was to identify two um separate genetic patterns in a pod a fail safe which shuts it down would probably right. be a better a better <laughs> decision than going all right well i'll, I'll combine the two you know it's a bit like yeah. sort of <laughs> well you i mean do thing- cooking, you don't do it in cooking do you, you don't go well i've got a bag of flour and a bag of mud i'll, I'll throw them together see what happens yeah, the thing I, you know, I, I have a pet peeve about organic matter being somehow different, right? You know, as mm. if it it has a soul or something, um, which, you know, Star Trek doesn't do. Um, but even as a kid, I was confused by why the fly. And I would think like, I mean, obviously, there's a sort of like fly in the ointment kind of metaphor of like the thing you don't think about, right? But mm. um but I all I would find myself thinking like there are plenty of amoebas and mm. uh, paramecia in in this uh, pod. Why doesn't it identify those? Right? I mean, there's plenty of bacteria and and all kinds of stuff. If you teleport, and then you think like, well, if you teleported a bag of flour, um, yeah. does it 
I mean, you, it, it has an idea of what constitutes a bag of flour because it would, t- would transport that bag of flour, presumably. It doesn't say there's a bag and there's flour. These are made of different things. Let's make a melange. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, so I was wondering that it's funny because one of the things I did think about in this case was like, oh, and you couldn't travel in this if you had knits. Yeah. You know, if you if you had like headlights or you had, like, even if you had like, a, uh, like you say, what happens with the things that are internal to you? Because you've right. got certain like bacteria and other things inside you. So it, it just felt bizarre. And like you say, if you were to put um, some eggs, some flour, some sugar and butter together, Mm-hmm. Does it come out? Does it come out as on the other end? Does it come out as cake cake mix? I don't know. It could be used for different things. Um, but yeah. there were there was a lot of questions in this. So I was a bit like, mm, I'm not sure this works as well as I think he thinks it works. Yeah, no, and and I think you're right. That's very funny. But I I I always I did oh I I am sort of perplexed by this idea of thingness by mm. you know how we look and we think oh that's a tree that's the ground that the tree is in what exactly is the line of molecules that separate one thing from another um Mm. why is you know i mean why is that a distinct thing in our in our brains and that doesn't really make sense translated to a machine um now how does the the machine's not going to think oh you know that um that culture in your gut is uh, part of you, but that fly isn't. Yeah. It is very strange. It's yeah, it's it's you know, and again, it's one of those sort of things of um, it's the, it's movie science, isn't it? It's like well, why? <laughs> well, because of science, and uh, you know, and they, they try their best in many ways because they answer other questions that I've had about other things in the past in other films. They actually try to answer in this film, so. You know, like he admits that machines are dumb, so that you know, yeah, it does do some some pretty special things. But the other thing that they answer in this film is, like you say, he introduced the two pods, and they are some pretty, you know, they are pretty iconic looking. Like you know, mm-hmm. as a design and as a sort of uh, a prop, because a physical. That's the thing as well to remember is that this is nineteen eighty six, so no CGI. This is these are all physical, and they look brilliant. And they all work like the doors open, and not as pods, obviously, but as <laughs> as special effects. <laughs> um, but like I say, so they look great, and you do go, "Wow, did he build those?" And he actually says that the answer in the film again he says, "Oh no, 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 I don't, I don't make this stuff. I farm it out to sort of like much more intelligent people than I am." So, you know, I ask people, "Can you in- create me this?" And, and somebody else, "Can I create you that?" And da da da. And then he brings them together and puts them together, and I was like. That's a good idea because they don't know what the project is. Oh, they don't know what the they don't know what the bigger project is. But I'm asking them to do this and to do that, and, and I bring them together. I'm like, that's nice and neat and smart. Like that, all right. You 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 know you've passed that piece of information. It's a nice little bit of exposition. I'm I'm happy to move on from that. Where in other films I've watched things where they've got some sort of great technology, and you go, that's that's quite difficult to make. <laughs> Because right. you must be like some sort of like, you know, you must be able to do like a simple task, like, well, not simple task, but like an engineering task, like welding, as well yeah. as advanced physics, as well <laughs> as advanced engineering. So, yeah, I, really I like the fact that they've got that. that go on. <clears throat> I really dug that explanation, too. Um, but, you know, the the thing that, you know, I like that. I, I'm, I'm glad that it's there. I think it's very clever. But I also found myself thinking, yeah, uh, I mean, it sort of represents like, well, you know, I'm smart, I'm a genius, but I'm not 
you know, these other people are smarter than me and, and I wouldn't know how to make a laser, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm not sure what you're using the laser for. Um, you <laughs> certainly have uh, farmed out teleportation technology, right? Somebody yeah. <laughs> got like a device. You, you can't just order, you know, a device that scans every molecule of something, identifies what it is, and uh, um, teleports it. I mean... The idea that this is just made up of these constituent parts that can sort of be ordered almost over the counter, I thought was very funny. <laughs> Although it's a much better explanation than most movies give. Yeah, and it's the fact that they, they clearly want to keep him the mad scientist. Like, you know, they have him in this sort of um, very stripped down warehouse type apartment, and they, they clearly want him to be detached. I mean, if this was, um, you know. It, if this was to be in a lab, like if he was working for Cyberdyne Systems, let's say, like you wouldn't you wouldn't question about them the building of the pods at all because you're like, okay, he works for a, an advanced science and technology company. Of course, mm-hmm. they would build it for him. So I, I'm glad they give they try and give an explanation for it. But you're right, like it's it's there'd still be somebody because I assume this is quite a small community at this level of intellect, where you know one of them's going, yeah, you know that Brundle. He asked me to build him this laser. Oh, really? Oh, he was he was he was asking me about something the other week, and I've, I've built him this other thing. And they go, "Well, what the? What is he doing that put these things together?" I'm sure that someone would start to figure it out, or you know, would have questions. But I suppose that's sort of you know, you know that's sort of going down a bit of a rabbit hole. But it's also like where where is the technology that does the teleportation? Like in the film, it destroys the original and then mm. recreates it elsewhere. Um, you know, like on, on Star Trek, that's quite responsible on Star Trek. You know, we understand that, yes, technically the original has to be destroyed. And then this data is transmitted to somewhere else. And, and then, um, matter is sort of built spontaneously out of energy. Mm-hmm. This machine is able to build matter spontaneously, um, mm-hmm. to shape matter with intricate detail. I mean, way beyond any 3d printer. Um, yeah not just in resolution, but also the variety of materials that it uses. Um, but I mean, he, I mean, of course we're overthinking this, right? Because it's a yeah. device that allows the plot to work. I'm just thinking like, yeah, he ordered a laser for me. He ordered something that would evaporate matter from me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what part was that? Yeah. He's ordered, yeah, he's ordered something to, that disintegrates things. And yeah, someone's going. Yeah, someone's going, oh my god, he's at it again. What's he up to? Like, yeah, there must be some sort of change because they do actually say he works for a company. And I forget. Is it Bartok? He actually works for. Mm-hmm. They're the ones. In, mm-hmm. They're the ones because it's Bartok Technology in the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think that like, there would be some sort of. He said, oh, they, they leave me alone because I don't cost very much. And again, I'm like, oh, I can sort of accept that. Yeah, and maybe that was the case. Yeah, maybe that's acceptable in the eighties, but. You know, again, you'd think there'd be some sort of, you know, what someone checking in that says, um, you know, Seth, I'm, I'm really glad you're doing, you're doing a fantastic job. You know, your patents, you keep creating a, a really paying off for the company, and the, the shareholders are fascinated and really appreciate what you're doing. But uh, why have you just, why have you ordered a disintegration ray? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we're we're a little concerned about that. Uh, could could you just sort of, you know, provide a little bit of explanation? Um, yeah, yeah. Also, you're living in your lab, which is apparently like a warehouse in the bad part of town, which I quite like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, like you think, oh, rent's probably cheap there. Although you never see any neighbors, right? I'm glad you don't see like <laughs> the stereotypical 80s gangs hanging out with boom boxes and mohawks or something. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I like the idea that, oh, he's he's gotten this place cheap or something. Although it is a vast space. I mean, it's impossible yeah. to imagine the film in another space, you know, like those, those sort of uh, collapsing pipes along the wall as... Uh, you approach the the main door to the warehouse or whatever, um, you know, are so memorable. So the, yeah, but I was gonna say. Well, the thing is, there following gentrification, like that apartment now costs like you know, sort of like thousands and thousands of pounds a month to uh, to rent. Yeah, forget <laughs> but, the teleporter. Just hold on to that real estate. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, that's where you make your money. Like, yeah, in my head, canon, like he owns the building. I've always wondered, like you know, because. They they allude to the fact mm. that he's been involved in some like really big projects in the past, and I always wonder like oh, okay, so like he must uh, like hold some patents on some technology or something that's paying for this because you know he's he lives a very stripped down life. I love the fact that he follows the Einstein theory of having five sets of clothes, um, so we can just pick out the next thing on the rack and that sort of thing. I, you know, I like little details like that. That's very sort of um, nerdy and very sort of like fits in. But there's still questions around sort of about how are you financing this and how do you finance your life and doing this and that sort of so it's it's interesting. Um but I mean like going back to the whole thing of it being that mad scientist, like that's his that's his castle, isn't it? This is like Frankenstein's right. castle on the hill. This is that thing of uh, you know, uh, secluded but still looks sort of like modern gothic in a sort of slightly broken down way. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I mean, and that never had occurred to me before that uh you know, this is that sort of castle. And and much like the castle, there's sort of like um, twists and turns and there's corridors. And mm. um, it's a very sort of like vague, expansive space. Yeah. And that's they like say, yeah, you there's a sort of there's a general geography to the apartment. But like you say, it's never really confirmed, is it? Um, and I love that say, it's the the. One of my favorite spaces in the apartment building is that corridor that seems to run down the side of the building to the to his door, mm-hmm. um, which they light to perfection, uh, depending on the mood. Um, so there's a bit where he when the, the bit where he's rejected uh, Gina Davis and she's sort of like you know she's cast out of the apartment and he's walk she's walking down it and there's that like a really good like blue light sort of you know coming through the windows and stuff and it's sort of they utilize these buildings to build in it really well to sort of set a mood. Um, and I yeah, quite like that because his, because his building is very bare. Yeah. And that's an excellent point. Um, I don't understand why that corridor is there. Um, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be there all the time. You know, sometimes you just cut to them going inside. Um, I'm not sure why there's this exterior corridor. And then um, when he brings the uh, sort of bar fly home, He's going upstairs, and he's going up quite a number of flights of stairs. Mm. Where are those stairs? Uh, cle- you yeah, know. I that that actually hit me sort of because I was I was like that that doesn't seem like the same. But is it? I I thought at one point he was going back to hers or something. But it's like that, that seems like a really different building. Like that doesn't make any sense. But yeah, yeah it I, is. I, uh, I don't care really, but I mean, it is it is no. odd. I think the thing they they do try and they create two two vastly different worlds though, and I think that's the other thing I really like about this film. That's sort of it's again in the detail is like you say his apartment is this sort of like let's say, like, say call it the modern gothic sort of thing. It's got this stripped down bare apartment, bare brick walls, 
the the electrical the electrics are out the pipes are out like he I love the fact that his living area is a, a, a rug, a large square rug in the middle of the room that has a sofa yeah. and a table and a sort of like a, a, a filing cabinet and stuff on it. Like, it's, and the rest is just his lab. Um, and the way it's lit is it, it's it's lit to be cold. Like you know, it feels very sort of like the lighting is very sort of stark, and you can see the brickwork, and it's just very sort of you know stark. When you go elsewhere, it it goes back to that sort of like eighties style. So. The two places I'll call out really are Gina Davis's apartment. You see briefly, mm-hmm. is very sort of it's 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 not cluttered. Cluttered is the wrong word, but it's 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 full. It's 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 um the design guys or the sort of um you know they've put stuff in there like it's got all kinds of like there's rugs on the wall and the shelves are full of stuff and there's books and there's a full kitchen and all this other stuff. Like she has a life, and they really want to hammer home that like there's a clearly there's a life there. Uh, and then the same goes for sort of the apartment, uh, sorry, the office, mm-hmm. um, Stathis's office. Again, the way it's filmed, it's you know it's got that yellow light, it's warm, it's mo- well, it would have been modern for 1986. It's it's opulent, it's that sort of thing. Like all this is in stark contrast to to Brundle's lab, and I love yeah. the fact that it's sort of like he is this crazy scientist, like locked away in this sort of like brick building. Um, in the same city as all this sort of like modern living, um, and I just think it's, it, is, it forms like a nice contrast of him versus the outside world. Yeah, and that contrast—that's a good point. And that contrast is so extreme that when he shows up at the office um, in one of the early scenes, um, you know, I think it's the only time he goes to either of those locations. Uh, we mm. sort of we see him at the party at the beginning, and we see him at the bars. I think outside of that, he doesn't ever go out. Um, but when we see him at that office, in that brightly lit office, he looks completely different. Um, it's mm. almost shocking to see him in that environment. Yeah, he looks, you know, they play him, he looks uncomfortable. Like he he feels out of place. And this is where I think Jeff Goldblum's in his element because he can play that sort of like gawky, I mean, what is like six four, six five, and sort of very thin. And so he, 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 you know, he looks awkward in that space, and I think that's really sort of, you know, obviously intentional. Um, one thing I will say is, and this is something again, like you say, when we say nitpicks, I don't know how well science magazines were doing in the eighties, but Particle magazine seems to be doing <laughs> incredibly well because that that office space with that view in New York City which I assume is where it is, or any big city, must cost a fortune. And so an editor of a large magazine, he must be doing incredibly well. I didn't realise science magazine paid so well at that period. It just seems that seemed really off to me this time. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, and I there's you do see an exterior shot where um I forget what it's like something enterprises, like very mm. formal and you know, it's presumably a, a publishing uh, conglomerate that owns this. Um, so I assume that, you know, the offices for Particle Magazine are, you know, just shoved into the larger conglomerate offices. But, you know, also, I remember, you know, reading science magazines in the 80s. Uh, there's a reference to Omni Magazine. And Gina Davis says, like, well, you know, if you won't, I'll take the story to Omni if you don't believe me, um, you know, early on. And, 
you know, I, I you're still right that I, I can't imagine um, these science magazine editors were working out of um, stockbroker like offices. Um, but it was yeah. also cool, like imagining like, um, you know, it's such a fantasy of that sort of culture of 80s science magazines, um, you know, that like they did investigative journalism. No, they did not. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> they ran stories on, you know, stuff like uh, mutation where you think like today, you know, this was rather scrounged together and you might have commissioned some art and they did lots of great stuff. But the idea that they're I, I found myself wondering, how long are you employing Gina Davis off the clock to just hang out with her now boyfriend? You know, she's living yeah. with him. She's basically just videotaping stuff and preparing for a story. This has gone on, I don't know, I mean, months? You're employing a reporter for months on an investigative story for a science magazine? Yeah, and that's it, because I was never quite sure. Is she sort of like freelance or is she actually work for them? Or It's never quite clear, is it? But like you say, she sort of spends... The time, the time frame for this film is never fully clear like is it weeks or is it months um because there is a point where towards the end of the film like she's of they've had a falling out they've, they've, they've separated and he's carrying on and, and this is when you sort of you you eventually find how degraded he has become and she does say like I, i've thought about contacting you you know i haven't spoken to you for weeks and i'm you know i've wanted to speak out so it clearly takes over at least a couple of months but like the the start, you say the start of the film seems to be just like a couple of weeks, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Sort of, I don't know the timescales of this. Like in that time as well, like has she gone back and been doing sort of just going back and sort of picking up other stories of science stuff? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what has she been doing. Um, yeah, you know she doesn't seem to be back with the with the ex boyfriend. Um, but you know also she's gotten she's been pregnant, right? And the implication, mm. you know, which you know, is never really resolved in this film um, is that it, it might be Brundlefly's child, right? Uh, that's clearly what she's scared of. Um, and, yeah. you know, Brundle is, there's that great line when he says, um, it could be the last bit of me, right? I mean, this could be a part of me that survives. Um, so, you know, I I love that, but the implication is that she got pregnant after the teleportation and thus, mm. um, you know, to even it's... be aware of the pregnancy, it's got to have been more than a month. Yeah. And that's it. So it's, it's sort of must lay out at least, like you say, six to 12 weeks, really. So you, this might even take a period of like six months, really. Um, because the, the, well, that pregnancy is actually an interesting point because her reaction is understandable <laughs> at this yeah. point because she has seen, she's she's seen what's happening to him um and then so, so to know that there's something wrong I, I don't think she knows at this point she's been he's been fused oh, no, does she know that he's been fused with a fly yes she does because that's yeah. when she has the like you said the abortion nightmare um and that that is is again like this horrific notion of like what what is it that's grown in me because it's it's not technically human um, you know, or it will be partly human, but what else could it be? Um, and so that birth scene is, um, 
yeah. is yeah is 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 quite traumatic. <laughs> um, well, one, so her reaction is understandable. <laughs> one reason I really like that the birth scene is that, um, you know, this is a sexist movie in a lot of ways. Um, you mm. know, and 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 I don't think in in a way that I want to you know disparage. Um, you know, I'm not singling it out for criticism, but it's an 86 movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, the ex-boyfriend just has is in her apartment showering. And he says, oh, you gave me a key, remember? You know, it's like, and he refuses mm-hmm. to give it back. And, you, of course, he's kind of being set up as the villain or um, the competition in a love triangle. And he winds up being the stereotypical hero. Um, but, uh, and you have all of this body horror and that's a very male genre. And um, obviously it's happening to the man, but then you have this wonderful, I mean, I guess, wonderful abortion nightmare sequence, yeah. which, you know, sort of recalls alien and some of the, mm. the fear of childbirth. Uh, some of the fear of what the hell is this growing inside me? Yeah, uh, I think, like I say, it plays out really well, and it looks good. Again, like, you know, there's obviously some, some like, animatronic maggot that she gives birth to, with a, <laughs> and also a, a a cameo by David Cronenberg as the Doctor, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I, I find Stathis is an interesting character because he is an he's a horrible person. Like he is a vile misogynist, mm-hmm. but at no point like he he like you say he has a bit of a sort of a redemptive moment at the end. But throughout the rest of the film, like at no point do they try. Does David Cronenberg, the director, ever try to um, redeem him in any other way? You know what I mean? Like he never changes his character. Like no, no, he is a smug misogynist git, and he should not be (laughs) liked. And you know they are fine showing you that. And like even he's called out, and he acknowledges it because at some points, like Gina Davis is like, "You are a real scumbag," and he's like, "Yeah." (laughs) it's <laughs> just who i am and so i almost sort of i understand like you said there's it, there's this misogyny but i almost applaud it that at no point does it cower away mm-hmm. from saying and it's and it's bad like at no point does he say but he's just being a you know he's just being a bloke he's just being a boy's boy or a man's man <laughs> no no the film acknowledges that no he is not a nice person um and yeah you know well he's driven by jealousy and um you know, obsession in many ways. Yeah, that's true. And there is when Gina Davis is talking to Goldblum about um, about that relationship, she explains that she was his student. Uh, mm. And so that's how they met. Is that not only is he, you know, this sort of misogynist who says, well, I know the relationship's over, but and you're dating somebody else. Can, but can we still have sex? Um, yeah. You know, which is, you know, a key scene. But then, uh, you know, through dialogue, we're led to believe that, um, I guess, that they met in, in college, um, mm. you know, which makes him even, I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, a professor being that over the top. Um, but although it was 1986, so who knows? Yeah. But it does help to explain um, why she would be uh attracted to him or why she would be have him as an ex-partner um that basically she was young and Mm. you know he had this sort of power um 
it doesn't make it right, but it's amazing. Like with these comments, along with the comment of sort of like how I farm out um, parts of the teleportation pods to other people, how much this film does kind of, you know, address some of these, these issues in dialogue in ways that do kind of answer these questions or at least smooth them over enough that they don't bother you. Yes. I mean, there's always an allusion to stuff that's gone in, gone on in the past. Like, you know, you again, like this story's taking place to people that have a history. Um, and I, I kind of like that, that like you said, there is clearly sort of a rather complicated relationship between sort of, you know, uh, Gina Davis's character and John Getz's character. Like that, you know, there's something there and, and going back, like, you know, if that's the character, if that's the fact that like, um, you know, that was the relationship and he is, you know, he is now the editor of a magazine. Is that why she's working there? Is that why she gets a little bit of, um, you know, a longer lead maybe for certain mm-hmm. things than other journalists on that magazine because of that relationship? Like, right. he jokes about, he jokes at one point about, you know, um, to when, like say, when uh, Brundle turns up at the office, he's, oh, if you're going to make anybody else disappear, I've got a, ju- you know, a, a, a junior editor that, you know, has, has served his purpose. So you get the feel like he's not, he's probably not great to his staff. He probably is quite ruthless, <laughs> but he lets Gina Davis sort of get away with things. And is it probably yeah, because yeah. of that, that, that sort of like physical and uh, that lust that is there between them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, and, and even that goes a long way to explaining um, some of these plot holes. Um mm. You know, and it's amazing how in, in a in a short film, um, especially these days, you know, with so many films being over three hours, um, how, you know, obviously you've got to buy into teleportation in 1986, right? I mean, you've got to buy into this AI and everything else. But, you know, outside of that, with a small cast and, and very controlled story, it's amazing how consistent it is and and how successful it is especially in sort of ratcheting up the horror, ratcheting up scene act by scene um, and following through on those implications, not just yeah. introducing another like, you know, well, I'm from so-and-so company and, you know, we just bought you out or something. There's nothing like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's what, because if this was to be remade or was to be made um, today, that's exactly what happened. Like you would have representatives from, you know, they wouldn't just mention the Bartok company like, oh, no, no there would be representatives from the Bartok company. There would be uh, more tension between that. There would be, they, they would expand that story because there's always there's this desire for expansive storytelling at the moment, which, you know, sometimes I find is just becomes bloated and sort of like, you know, ends up collapsing under its own weight. And this is, like I say, it's small, it's concise. I mean, if this, were to be, if this was to be a book, it would be a novella or a short story. Like this isn't mm-hmm. a full-blown novel, is it? Like, it's it's kept short and concise and and really benefits for that. I mean, you know, it, it breaks into acts, but there are clear acts. There's the the you know the sort of development of everything, the introduction of the characters, the development leading up to the teleportation. Okay, that's the end of Act One. Move right. on to Act Two. You get the um the the build up of sort of like, you know Seth becoming different his transformation his change how he basically goes physically and mentally sort of starts to change and his desires that's your act two and then eventually the act three kicks off when she does go for the abortion like she sees him right 
and you see how far he's gone and then it's sort of like it's it's a really well structured story like you know it just sort of it pay, it goes on at pace and it's a well laid out story i think yeah amen and i could use more uh well structured stories these days yes. so often i whether it's tv or or cinema i think you know you have broken the three act structure and i'm not sure that it got you anything um mm. you know obviously there's a traditional five act structure too which you can adapt for a 3 hour long film but you know there's a lot to be said for a film that gets in does its job and gets out and yeah maybe it follows a traditional structure but it works and i think that if you showed this film to a 20 year old they'd probably say oh okay you know it's a little slow here that special effect isn't so great but it still works um it still mm. works as a film it still drew my attention and i still you know enjoyed it i could get into it and i'm done in 95 minutes yeah i think that's it. especially in the, say if, you know as you go into the third act like it, it, you know because you've got sort of quite a small cast like you feel this thing sort of centers around that love triangle. And then when you're introduced to the sort of, you know, the, almost like the, the pre-final stage of Brundlefly and he sort of, you know, he is sort of starting to transform. He's, he's sort of hunched over and he's sort of um, covered in the, what the makeup effects. And he looks great. It looks good. And it's sort of, it's disgusting. And bits of him have fallen off and his hair's all <laughs> going and stuff. And it's sort of, but that, like you said, that conversation, he has when he sort of because obviously so Gina Davis goes to have an abortion like late at night and they sort of say like the doctor's like but you know why now and they're just like look there's an element of deformity involved in this she wants to get the abortion just just do me a favor and he comes crashing through that glass and sort of abducts her and, and it's sort of you know it sort of again goes back to um as you said a monster movie whether it be like the Hunchback of Notre Dame or Jack, Dr. Jekyll and, uh, you know, Mr. Hyde or Frankenstein or whatever, abducting um, the, to say damsel in distress, is that sort of part of it. Um, but then they have that conversation about sort of like, and he's sort of saying to her, as you said, about the baby. And he's like, look, don't kill the baby. It's the last piece of humanity left of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like, it's, it's because you follow this on, it's, it's really you know, for me, at least, but I wouldn't say heartbreaking, but I really feel it that he's like, he really is desperately trying to cling on to something like, you know, what, what am I becoming? I don't know. I no idea what I'm actually going to end up being, mm-hmm. but I've got to have something to cling on to. And I still fit. There's that desperation um, in that third act. And I feel that that's what drives Brundle towards the end is desperation. Like, so the decision he makes, and he's obviously already made the decision is he wants to, to, use fusion again through the teleportation to become more human or to remain at least remain human and the only way you can do it is by fusing with one or more purely human um figures people and so he's set up the three pods so he's actually got a, a prototype that he's now introduced into this sort of trio of pods and you're sort of thinking i'm going back to that idea he had about insect politics mm-hmm. you know he said about how how if you don't go away, I'm going to hurt you. How much of this is human desire, but being driven by insect, insect um, logic? 
you know, almost like, well, I want to do this, and the way to do it is to do this and this, and here's the subject I've got. You know what I mean? And but he keeps trying to sort of like butter it up by saying, but we'll be the perfect family. Yeah. You know, all in all in one, which is really creepy. And yeah, it made I like me think that. about the. Yeah, but again, it made me sort of think of that idea of politics, politics of like you know the spin, trying to sort of butter up the idea of what's going to happen. And I was like, oh, it's it's just. The human condition is to sort of, you know, is to lie. You know, you are selfish. Like he, at this point, he's so desperate, he's willing to sacrifice sort of like the woman he claims to love and his child to save his own life, or at least to some extent, because you, you know, whatever comes out of it. So I, I don't know. I just think that that decision and it feels sort of like understandable, but also <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, I think I think you understand it very well i i think that i almost felt like in that third act that he seems more conscious than he did uh at the end Mm. of the second act i felt you know i mean he tells her to go away um i don't know how he found out that she was pregnant by the way um or made his way across town uh but uh, you know i don't really care um but i do feel as if especially in those final scenes back in the warehouse or his home, that he is more conscious. I mean, he's obviously planning. You know, you're, I think you're right to interpret it as a sort of like human desire to be united with somebody. Um, mm. And there is this sort of like really creepy version of love or, or a family um, that's invoked there. Um, and I do think that it's heartbreaking, especially when, you know, um, Gina Davis has to tell him something's really wrong. And then, you know, yeah. when she's thrown out and then at the end, not wanting to kill him. And, you know, I can only yeah. imagine what I, what I thought at nine as the, uh, you know, Brundle, uh, holds the, the shotgun up to his own face, um, unable to oh, speak, yeah. but clearly communicating, kill me. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. This whole third act and when they get back to the sort of Brundle's lab is uh, again, it's sort of everything's so sort of like it it all comes, you know, full circle. It comes back to this lab. It comes back to the technology. And it's sort of, again, just those three people. And you get sort of like Stathis comes in um, with, you know, a a really over the top gun, to be fair. I'm sure it's like an elephant gun or something like that. But, um, and also just to point the fact, like he, he basically goes into the building having seen, Having seen what he, uh, what Brundle has become, and the fact that Brundle has kidnapped, like, smashed through a window and kidnapped Gina Davis, um, he but he he carries the dismantled gun into the apartment and then builds it. Yes. <laughs> when com- common sense would be like, I'll do this outside so I can go in armed. Clearly, that's but again a nitpick. Also, yeah, maybe get some that... police, maybe get some police support. Right, maybe don't go yeah, to yeah. the bad guy's lair with an unassembled gun by yourself. because yeah. <laughs> it's not like he's on his own. Because at this point, like that doctor's also seen not maybe not seeing what Brundle is, but he's seen like yeah, someone smashed through the window of my my office and kidnapped a woman. I think he would be fully justified in calling the police. Um, but I love the fact that like, when it comes back, is this thing of like his defense he uses his digestive system as a sort of as a defense mechanism or as an attack uh, and he he melts stathis's hand and he also melts his foot off using his digestive fluid which is um 
is is again like some of the horror in this and some of the special effects is is ugh, it's 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 horrific, <laughs> um. But I love his I love his underplaying of it. Like it's not screaming and shouting and throwing himself around. It's just the sort of like he looks at his own hand melting, and he struggle he, he's struggling to process what he is seeing. Mm-hmm. And he's just sort of like stunned into sort of like with pain. Like he's in shock. Like, you know, you can see he's yeah. going gray and it's sort of like, it's just, it's so well, again, not so well done. I really enjoy this sort of third act. Um, and uh, again, like the special effects of when, you know, Gina Davis is trying to resist him. And finally you get the final transformation. Like she pushes him so far and his jaw comes off and, then his body or his outer body starts to fall away. Like his eyes liquefy and all this other stuff. And you get Brundlefly uh, underneath, um, which, you know, yeah, it's a slightly jerky animatronic, um, but still as a practical effect, mm-hmm. you know, it looks, it looks really good. I mean, what do you think of that sort of that confrontation at the end? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like it. I, I mean, I am able to forgive its, its trespasses. Um, you know, I, I found myself thinking about the issue of abortion and thinking of, I mean, this is an 86 film. It's not scared to really, there are, there's an abortion sequence, which occurs in mm-hmm. a dream. I can't imagine that not being, you know, Mm, controversial. I can't imagine that getting, you know, too widespread distribution today. Um, yet at the same time, Brundle says uh, that we'll be united a family. And there, you know, earlier we were talking about thingness, right? Like what, mm. how is the fly different than the, the stuff in your gut? Do, is the machine going to recognize a separate thing in her stomach? That's kind of important for that climax, but we don't have a clear answer to that. It's clearly, you know, not a very well-developed, uh, um, you know, child at this point. Um, it, it, I'm not sure if it's even a fetus, but um, if it is, it's, it's not big. Um, mm. So, I mean, you know, not only is there this you know, just sort of like abortion isn't a big deal, right? Um, she struggles yeah. with it, but it's just a, you know, like an accepted thing. And it's amazing how far we've retreated from that in 2019. Yeah. But but it's also interesting this, if we're going to talk about sort of like female body horror of that abortion sequence and um, and how this film is gendered, how, you know, is the is the child would they really be a family or is this her body? Um, I mean, Mm. is the machine going to say, well, that's a separate bit of DNA. So, you know, now you're all fused together. I don't know. I also find myself sort of thinking about, are they going to be one mind after this? How, how does that work? That, that was interesting. Cause that's, that's, it wasn't until just discussing this, that that's sort of what's popped into my mind is sort of like, well, you know, obviously the fly doesn't have a memory or anything like that, say. So it's he remains at least in his in his brain for the most part. He remains Seth Brundle. But yeah, if you were to combine him and the you know the Veronica character, you know, if it's able to transport 
if that fly hadn't have gone in there, it would have just transported him normally. And it, he was able to retain like all his skills, all his memories, all his you know all that sort of stuff. So it's obviously all that is being retained. So yeah, what would it, what would it retain in if it combined the two of them? You know, um, I don't yeah, know. I'll, I'll be interested. Yeah, it's an interesting because the other thing, of course, is I mean, granted, the technology is has been shot at and it gets damaged before the final sort of like uh, moments. But the but Brundle does get teleported to the third pod, and he he fuses with um he fuses with part of the pod. Mm-hmm. But when he comes out, when he comes out, it isn't like previous. It's not like he's gone fusing, and then eventually you will become metal, or you'll become a piece of electrical <laughs> wire. Like it's the fly, but with flesh wrapped around um parts of the pod. Like, you know, he pulls yeah. himself out and he trail it trails behind him what is clearly plastic electrical wire. So it's is that because it's two in it's an it's a, a an animate and an inanimate object fused together? So it's yeah, it, it leaves a question of like what would have come out of that pod. Um you know, what would have come out of that pod if he had been successful. Now apparently though, do you know if there's a deleted scene that sort of tried to address this? Um is that the scene that they used in Fl- the Fly Two, or is there just another Possibly. deleted scene? Okay. I I can't. Remember. So there's a scene that was it was used in in uh, audience initial audience screenings, but was removed because they felt it sort of removed empathy from from Seth Brundle. But he fuses the second baboon and a cat together <laughs> um, to to see what would happen when you you. I haven't seen it. Apparently, it's, it must be it must be out there. But he fuses a baboon and a cat together, and when it doesn't work, he beats it to death with a pipe. Wow. Um, yeah, and people are a bit like, "Yeah, I I don't really care to follow Seth Brundle after this," so they removed it. Um, so it's I, I assume it's clearly part of um, that final. That, that it must be part of that third act or that sort of lead up to the third act where you know he's considering how to fuse um, ah you know uh, live matter together. Right, sort um, of. Uh, he's he's practicing for fusing himself mm, in another human being. Um, yeah, um, but I've never seen it. I just I've just heard about yeah. it. So you know, it, it would be interesting to see what that looks like. I haven't um, seen it either. But you're right to suggest that, and I, I love the fusion with the part of the pod and how part of the pod mm. is itself teleported. Um, and you know, I I think that's all great. But you know, you're right to point out that this does seem to be a different kind of fusion. And of course, maybe mm. the machine's damaged. Um, but yeah, I, the other thing is, I, I'm never quite sure why the effects of the fusion with the fly take a while to manifest, why they slowly manifest. Mm. And, you know, one can imagine if he's fused with Gina Davis. I mean, is he going to, he's just going to come out looking the same, right? Like Brundlefly. Yeah. But, you know, then what parts of him are going to slowly change into a woman? Um, I don't know. Well, that's it. Yeah, would he become asexual? Would he, you know, would he be able to reproduce internally? Would he? What would he? Would he be still human? Like, yeah, it's inter- It's a fa- It's, you know, maybe there's a story there. I don't know. Because <laughs> um, I mean, you know, because the thing is, like, in this, there's a, it's a full transformation. Like, it's taken as body horror, and I, they go the full, you know, the, the full Brundle fly. Um, and I suppose it's worth sort of mentioning the original because the original is still iconic and um, it's sillier. It's 1958. 
it's a, it's a slightly sillier film. It's a very it's a very B movie kind of. Film. You, I'm assuming you've seen. No, I've never seen film. it actually. Have you not? Oh, okay, I've never seen um, it. it. We might it have to do it on another episode. <laughs> yeah, it, it is worth seeing for that sort of um, the fifties kitsch of it all, and, and like you know, Vincent Price is very good in it. I, you know, I always like seeing a bit of Vincent Price. Um, but in it, like it, 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 it has an <laughs> there's an element of um, Doctor Strange love about it, which is it, it verges into comedic. So we may do it in the future, but I'll just tell you this now. So you know, in Doctor Strange love, there's the thing of Peter Sellers when he's sort of the, you know the, the former Nazi, and he, he can't stop his arm from saluting, mm-hmm. and he has to keep. Oh yeah. So in the pre in in the fifty eight version, um, the, the 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 scientist is he do, he does the same thing. He does teleportation. And instead of changing fully, it's it's one arm is his head and one arm has become a fly, right? And there's there's a scene where he is battling his own arm, so he battles the <laughs> fly arm with his good arm to prevent him from killing his wife. <laughs> and it is that sort of thing of like you know it it, it verges on, and I could see why in the fifties in a sort of like a drive-in kind of way, it's entertaining and it's good fun, but it does come across as a bit silly. Um, yeah. but the ending is um, they, they, they have to track down the fly that obviously he teleported with because they don't combine in this they come out and there's two separate they, they remain two separate entities but while the human has um, a fly head and a fly arm the fly has a, a, a little <laughs> diddy human head and a little diddy arm and uh, yeah so it ends wow. it with the it ends I'm going to spoil it because it we, we, it's still worth seeing, but it's yeah. um, it, it it ends with the little fly in a in a, um, a spider's web out in the garden, and you just get this little sort of high pitch like "Help me, help me!" <laughs> and just before he's about to be eaten by the fly uh, by the spider, his son has to crush him with a rock, um, and so like you, you sort of go through this sort of like slightly I say slightly silly sort of B movie fifties uh, horror. That ends on this really dark note, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's 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 good. It's it's a it's a slightly silly film. It's worth seeing, but um, it's uh yeah, it's it's very fifties. Um, it's just very kitsch. Um, I do think this is the better film. The, yes, the, the nineteen eighty six version. Um, well, and and the difference between sort of kitsch and body horror, you know, obviously Cronenberg mm. was sort of being be associated with uh with that and mm-hmm. now sort of horror movies are filled with uh a lot of this body horror it used to mm. be just cronenberg doing it right yeah 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 i mean this is i mean you know there's a, there's a lot of it sort of goes on say a lot of influence this film is sort of you know has a oh, cronenberg in general really i think sort of has influenced an awful lot um of that sort of that sort of body horror and, and sort of horror in general really um but the the other thing I, I sort of that sort of struck me about the eighties, and I think maybe there were other times, but watching this made me also think of the thing, mm-hmm. which is another film we probably we might do one day because it's it's a, it's a great sci fi horror. But it made me think about how to do a remake and do it well. So right. you know both of those, so that the thing nineteen eighty one's the thing, or nineteen eighty two's the thing, and nineteen eighty six the fly, right? Both take sort of those fifties movies. And sort of, you know, do them, but do them in a very distinctive way. Like, 
you know, you right. couldn't say this was a this is a remake in sort of probably concept and name alone. Um, much like the thing, you know, is is really sort of a remake in concept and sort of name alone of uh, the thing and the thing from outer space. So, right. I just like the fact that they, they sort of like that Cronenberg sort of did his own thing with this, and I think that's why it stands alone as a classic rather than people don't call this. Oh, it's a remake of the nineteen fifty eight fly. Like, no, no. Mm-hmm. Do you like the when people say do you like the fly? Everyone was referring to, you know, David Cronenberg's The Fly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that it really points to the need to make a remake your own. Mm. Nobody but Cronenberg could have done this movie. Um, mm. Obviously, it updates, you know, it makes it more realistic, for one. Um, but adds, you know, these elements of body horror, adds these sort of, you know, themes of... Uh, you know, sexuality and, and abortion and the nerd versus the jock and stuff like that. Um, you know, that is fascinating. And I think that sometimes we get these remakes. We obviously, we live in a, a time in which we're getting a lot of remakes now. But, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they go their own direction. And sometimes they sort of slavishly follow the original uh, you know, with an updated cast or, you know, younger actors or more diverse actors or what have you, uh, better special effects. And, you know, I guess I would just encourage people to say when there is a remake that is different, that is a director's weird take on something, hey, uh, that's how we got the fly. That's how we got the thing. Um, mm. And even if that even if that take doesn't wind up being as successful as these two examples, uh, it's important and almost incumbent upon any director, including a director of Shakespeare, a director of uh, plays that are done over and over. It's the most successful versions have a stamp of that director on them. And I think it's a bit silly not to expect that. No, I totally agree. I think you know they they need to be given, and to tell these stories for a different age and a different audience through different you know through different eyes can be just as important. I think as as um, you know if you want to do an original story and stuff. But as I say, I think sometimes Hollywood could just sort of like benefit to look back at films like this and say, yeah, do you know what we're going to trust? We're going to trust that author, that creator, that director to do his thing, and it'll you know it it will likely pay off. But. Uh, well, I just realized yeah, no, I feel I feel very old because, you know, the time between the original movie, The Fly, and the re- the Cronenberg remake that we grew up with and, you know, mm. is now no- referenced as The Fly is less than the time between that film and today. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, 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 you know, I, I was just looking at the dates and thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that so that's it. It was you know we've we've talked about the fly. It's it's a great film. It's one I definitely definitely recommend. It's one of those films like as you said earlier. It definitely still stands up. This is a film that I think you can go and watch, and still is impactful and you know can pull you in. Um, but oh, uh, yeah, so, so Julian, what what's your final thoughts then on the fly? Uh, my final thought is arguably the best superhero movie ever. Uh, <laughs> This is this is the Spider-Man that I want to see. Uh get on that, Sony. 
This is yeah. This is a film that Venom could have been. This is the sort of the body <laughs> horror that we could have for sort of a film like that. That would be amazing. Um, yeah. No, I'm the same. I think I think there's something in this sort of idea of you know that that so body horror in itself can be so sort of uh, impactful because it's sort of you know you can't stop it, especially when you know poor Brundle can't stop this thing happening to his body, and uh, you know with the rise of illnesses that can impact us. You know everything from sort of like you know cancer or um, anything really. This idea of something inside you that you can't fight, um, it can feel so real. So I, I just think there's you know there's so much this film that's uh, that's worth revisiting. Um, Amen. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've really enjoyed. I've, I've really enjoyed watching this again. Actually, yeah, me too. I, I was surprised. I mean, I hadn't seen it for a good decade, and I was surprised how well it worked. Especially, you know, it's short, but I mean, you get give it through that first act, right? You know, give it, mm. uh, give it, uh, 45 minutes or 30 minutes. And, um, no, then you're pretty much on a roller coaster. You've set everything up. And, um, you know, I think both of us really admire those, you know, not just smaller films, but films that follow through on their implications. Right. So if you've set up the world, obviously this is a world in which there can be a computer that fuses, a fly and a man or else there's no story. Right. In the same sense that, you know, uh, you have a superhero story, you know, you have to buy that such powers can exist. You have any sci-fi story, you've got to buy the premise, but it's important to follow through on that premise to, you know, to just sort of tease it out and see, all right, what would happen here? Um, not just that interests me much more than, uh, Hey, what if, you know, government agents show up and, you know, what if somebody else uses the machine to fuse themselves with, uh, you know, a rhinoceros, you know? <laughs> okay. You know, just follow through on your implication. You can keep it a simple story and you can make it heartbreaking and, and fascinating. I, I totally agree. And I think that's why this film works so well. Is that saying it's, it's asking you to sort of take a leap and to suspend your disbelief, but then, is rewarding you with actually sort of um, going along on that journey. Cause there's a lot of films these days that do, they'll ask you to suspend your disbelief and then be like, Oh, you're here. Okay. Let's just go. And just sort of, <laughs> we'll keep pushing the boundaries without actually trying to provide any reward. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it is. It's, it's, it's a really well done piece of cinema. Um, you know, it's a real sort of, it's a, a real demonstration of Cronenberg uh, and why he, he is looked at in the way he is. And we will be coming back to Cronenberg, no doubt. Um, so yeah, I, I I say I've really enjoyed it. It's um, readily available. I sort of I got it off uh, Amazon, um, but like I say, there's plenty of like DVD and Blu-ray versions of this knocking around, pretty cheap. So give, if you have never seen it, go give it a go. Um, and avoid to... avoid the fly too, which yes. I saw as a kid and. <laughs> I is I don't remember anything of it. Uh and apparently that does use some interview footage uh from the first one. Uh mm. thank you Wikipedia. Um so that's not the the deleted scene that that you were talking about which is mm. much more interesting. Uh yeah, I think the thing with it, let's let's just sort of to to bring it down sort of like everything that we have commended the fly for, you know, being concise, <laughs> following through on its ideas being shocking and all that sort of stuff, standing, you know, st- still sort of uh, standing the test of time. None of that is true for the fly too. <laughs> it's uh yeah. 
which it's, for it's, the record didn't have anybody involved in it didn't have Cronenberg Goldblum Gina Davis you know John Getz no. none of them it was directed by the uh, the makeup guy from the first one yeah well actually no John Getz is in it but he oh. um, he isn't he has a very small cameo at the very beginning um, as um, I can remember this. I, I quickly checked it. So, the prologue to—I'll give you the, the, the prologue to the fly two—is um, a woman is giving birth <laughs> to something. It's clearly not Gina. Da- I can't remember it being Gina Davis. Um, uh, but John Getz is there, and he has a false hand, and he has a cane. So they obviously following on from the fact that. Hang on, but she gives birth, and the thing that the, the thing that is born is in a sack. Um, of something, and it, it it does come out as a human child, but it kills her. So the birth actually kills her, and then this child is raised as part of Bartok's sort of in, in a Bartok lab, um, and he grows into Eric Stoltz, and it never gets any more interesting than that. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I I remember yeah. watching it uh, as a kid and thinking, I mean, what did it come? It came out in like eighty uh, nine, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so just three years later, and I remember thinking, like, wait a minute, that kid grew up. So mm. we're in the future now, right? You know, where are my flying cars? Um, you know, yeah. like clearly, like eighteen years passes or, or something, um, which is very strange to have something set in the future that doesn't even acknowledge it. It's just like, well, there's no plot unless he grows up. So, well, you know, yeah. okay. And I think you know there could have been, yeah, there could have been more more adventurous things. But yeah, don't don't bother with the fly too. It's not very good, and uh, it doesn't try and explore any of its. It tries to lean into the horror rather than than sort of science fiction themes or anything like that. And even the horror is not very good. Um, it has one. I think it, it sort of has one. Um, sort of interesting idea at the end, and and about sort of like corporate culture but that's that's about mm. it um but yeah if we if we're ever sort of interested in going back and looking at terrible sequels maybe we'll do it <laughs> maybe for a later season uh you know yeah uh, well, we're really running horrible low. movies <laughs> horrible yeah. movies uh i i actually do sort of like that idea i i like horrible movies but uh Usually more fascinatingly horrible than The Fly 2. Yes, because so there are plenty of them in the sci-fi genre. Ah, man. So we're doing uh, Akira <laughs> next week? Yes, yeah, so the next episode is uh, is Akira, the uh, Japanese uh, anime uh, from uh, yeah, 1988, I think. We'll have to check that when, when we, when we uh, talk about it. But yes... So yes. you know we're going again. This is the first one time we're doing we're doing an animation, uh, Japanese animation. It's got a fantastic sort of legacy. This film it's one of the most I would say influential uh, Japanese animes, uh, heavily influenced by a film we talked about previously, uh, Blade Runner. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to talking about this because it's for me it was the first anime film I ever saw, um, and uh, I'm a big big fan of the manga as well. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that. Yeah, well, it's very influential, uh, as was The Fly. So yes, I hope everyone checks it out. And and check us out on Twitter, too. 
yeah, we're on. We are on Twitter. We are. Uh, let me just. I'm gonna pull it up so we can always remember. We are at Pod Time Space. Come and talk to us about the Fly or any of the other films that we've talked about in the past. Um, you know, obviously we've we've got a full thing going on now with all these films we've talked about in the past or any films you think we should pick up in the future. We've got uh, a whole bunch already lined up, but you know, if you want to throw others in, um, we'll happily consider them and we'll happily talk about them. Uh, one other thing before we go, just a little piece of admin. Someone I haven't mentioned uh, really in the past episodes, and, and uh, you'll see uh, him mentioned in the show notes, but uh, I just want to give a shout out to Wyatt Lane. He's the musician that did our intro and outro music uh, for us. He has an album on SoundCloud uh, and he's also on Spotify. So if you just go on there and look for Wyatt Lane, uh, check out his music if you really like our intro and outro music. Like, I think it's awesome. So uh, thank you for to Wyatt for doing that. Uh, but yeah, go check him out. He's also on Twitter. It's at Wyatt Lane. That's W-Y-A-T-T-L-A-Y-N-E. Okay. Just thought it was worth giving him a shout out. Cause, uh, yeah, amen. I, I love that. I, I really love that am. intro. And thank you, Wyatt. Yeah, it's, it's classic. I, it was something we sort of just spoke on Twitter and he, I said, oh, do you want to try, you know, could you do this for us? And he sort of, yes, he pulled that together for us. And I think it's wonderful. So definitely check out his other music. Uh, but Julian, for, for this episode, uh, thank you very much. It's been a fantastic discussion. And, thank uh, you, Scott. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking about Cronenberg. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, me too. But, uh, yeah, so next week, we're getting, or next episode, we're going to be getting into Japanese anime, which I think is going to be... Uh, a different conversation once again. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know both of us, uh, you know, like anime and, and love the idea of uh, adult animation. So, you know, it's important to address. Yeah. So as I say, folks, before that, if you want to sort of jump in and speak to us, uh, let us know. But uh, for now, thanks for listening. And we'll talk again soon. Streams.